This Justin, a new podcast, has joined the scene of the internet. It is a solo man show, and this is the pilot. Please welcome the host, Xavier Pulse. Uh, thank you, Paul. I appreciate the introduction, and uh, don't know why you introduced me in such a news anchor fashion, but here I am, a 50s businessman. Just playing out a couple little riffs for you. How about that, folks? Huh? Just kidding. Um, hey, this is, uh, I'm starting a podcast, and, uh, I just recorded, like, uh, maybe an hour and a half ago, probably, like, 50 minutes worth of podcast material, and guess what? I hated it. So, <laughs> we're starting fresh for the pilot, um, and yeah, uh, I've been wanting to start a podcast probably since I was, oh, probably 17 years old, and, uh, I don't know how many countless people I annoyed with talking about it and telling them, hey, we should do this, and we should start it together, and yada, 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 and, uh, yeah, you know what, six years later, I'm finally deciding, hey, let's just start the podcast, I always thought that I needed to just dump hundreds into mics and recording material and whatnot, and it's just like, you know what, there's literally the tools to do it on your phone, it's on you 24-7, for free. And finally, I just, I'm taking the leap of faith, and uh, yeah, I know it's so scary jumping into this whole podcast world. No, it's not. Um, but I finally just decided to do it, and uh, here we are. And um, I know, it's a 10th millionth podcast out there. But, uh, you know, I'm not expecting anything out of this. I just kind of, I enjoy talking, uh, particularly about fly fishing and uh, outdoor activities. And we're going to start solo. um, And we'll see what I, I'll see what I can do about getting guests or co-hosts, whatever. I I mean, whatever. I have no really goal of this show i just kind of am starting a project and i want to see where it goes and if it falls flat in my face heck let's do it so without further ado i guess we'll get into it um what i love to do is fly fish i'm a fly fisherman um if you don't follow me on instagram already uh which is the only social media i'm active on I may, yeah, I live, breathe, do, sweat, whatever, sleep, dream, fly fish. Uh, it's what I do. And th- the thing that, why I love fly, and I guess I, I've already talked about this for 50 minutes, but I didn't like how I, how I did the episode. Um, but I, I guess I, I love fly fishing so much because it's, it's something that I can get as good as I want doing it. And what I mean by that is like there are a lot of sports and you can learn so many things within those sports. And a lot of those sports, though, or activities, hobbies, whatever. I don't really think fly fishing is a particularly a sport, but um, there's so many things that there's a cap. You know, you can only get this good. You can only go this fast. Um and there's, and it's not necessarily a cap where it's like you're done. That's the greatest you're going to get. But it's like there's not 
the mountain isn't as high uh, to the possibilities within that realm. And in fly fishing, what I love about it is there's a billion different branches. There's a billion different avenues and this and that that you can go as far as you want. I want to become the best spay fisherman in the world. I can do it. And I just put the time into it. I dump my heart and soul into it. Or if I want to be the best fly tire, if I want to be an innovative tire, if I want to nymph up every single tailwater in the West, you know, I mean, I don't know how many different avenues there are and how many practices. And it's just awesome that anybody can do this. Doesn't matter if there's trout, bass, carp, you know, salt water, fresh water. You can fly fish anywhere. And that's what's awesome about it. Anybody can do it. It's, you know, that's what I love about it. It's not a, a rich man sport. It's not you have to go to these crazy destinations or in the United States of America, because I can't vouch for Europe because I know it's a little different. But in the U.S., anybody can fly fish as long as you have water right there. You can walk to it. You can drive to it. You can go as far as you want. You can go as short as you want. You can use any gear. doesn't matter the price, whatever. You can go do it, and you can get as good as you want with what you're doing. As long as you put your time and effort into it, you can get pretty damn good. And uh, in the not-going-to-be-shared episode... Uh, I talked about this a lot, how me in particular, me, I, I dumped so much time into Euronymphine specifically, and there's so many different, there's so much to it that, I mean, there's so much to Euronymphine in general that it, I mean, it made me a better a fly fisher, a better angler, and I distinctly remember that between before that summer and after that summer, which was last summer, summer 2020, I was an okay fisherman that could catch fish here or there, do stuff, whatever. I was an okay fisherman, but I, I, I wouldn't even call myself great. Not by any means. I wasn't catching big fish, nothing. Pardon me. But that summer, I... I lived in an area in northwest Colorado where I could fish every single day. As long as it wasn't too windy, too rainy, too smoky, whatever, I could fish because there was a river right there. It flowed through town, and all I didn't fish through town because all the bait, bait dunkers would rip out every single fish in the river right there. There's a river right there. I could drive 15 minutes and be fishing on the water and catching a buttload of fish. And Euronymphing taught me where fish reside, where this or that, and stuff that I kind of already knew, but it broke it down even further. And it taught me tendencies and this and that. Uh, And I just felt like leaving that summer, I was a better angler. Because I I even, even during that summer, I was fishing this freestone. I would catch, you know, and the fish weren't super selective. That's fine. I mean, that's just how it was. But then I would push myself on my days off because during my days when I worked during the days you know weekdays I would fish right after work no matter what and then you know unless weather said otherwise but I was fishing 
and all that practice I got learning the motion of your own nymphine, getting better, reading the water, reading where the nymphs are, how fast they are, understanding weight, angles. There's so much to it that I can't even get into right now. But I learned so much that then I started pushing myself and during the weekends, I would drive to busy tailwaters. And what I would do is Euronymph. And most of the time when you're at a tailwater, you're talking size 18 to 24, midges, betas, mices, however you say it, uh, mice's shrimp, etc. I mean, it depends on what the river holds and whatnot. But yeah, it's small fly, subtle indicator, subtle this, and indicator, bobber. Um, and I went there with the Euronymph rig and I just, I took all this experience and all this. And it was, I mean, it's not a lot of experience, but it was every day of fishing that it taught me so much so fast that I was able to take all this and then now put into a tailwater where the fish are more selective and they're more, uh, way more pressured. They're way more selective. And I was still able to crush. And I, would I mean and I'm not trying to toot my own horn here but where I realized that presentation trumped the size of your fly the size of this or you know whatever the the presentation of the euro rig even with bigger flies it vastly outperformed suspension rigs on these tailwaters and it just made me realize doing this learning euro nymphine putting so much time to it that I was able to go from a mediocre angler and then quickly develop myself into somebody who is going to high pressured systems and fishing non-orthodox ways of tailwater fishing and I mean just be super successful and it made me realize and it re- that uh, the summer 2020 I was already fully grabbed into fly fishing, fully. And I'm 100% aware of this, but it furthered my, like, I can be as good as I want to be. I I mean, people can go out there, go to any river, throw on a couple flies, split shot an indicator and nymph all day, and just kind of watch their bobber do whatever, let it drag, this or that, and just be lazy and not learning anything. Or you can take an approach, be super interactive with whatever your rig is. Doesn't matter what it is. For me, it was your nymphing. And practice, you can practice on harder waters to start, or probably better, just get to know easier fishing areas and then apply what all that knowledge towards higher pressure systems where the reward is much higher. And you as as long as you put yourself into it and as long as you're truly passionate about it you can be as good as you want and i learned this i wasn't using expensive gear i was not using i mean I, you know it's funny you'd go to particular waters and some people are wearing two thousand dollars worth of wardrobe their rod is also a thousand dollars their reel is five hundred dollars and me over here with a freaking $200 rod, I'm outperforming you. And just because you own expensive gear does not make you better. And it's not going to make you better. 
it can maybe loosen some gaps, but if you never are practicing, you're never getting better. So that's why I love about fly fishing is doesn't matter how much you spend on it. Doesn't matter what you wear, where you come from, this or that. If you're putting yourself into it, you're you're gonna do you're gonna do well, and you're gonna be rewarded, and you're gonna have fun. And there's always struggle. That's fine. I mean, I couldn't tell you how many times that I was like cursing at the sky through my struggles, but through my struggles, I became I I, I feel like I'm an okay fisherman now. And um, so yeah, I mean that's why I love fly fishing. It's like there's so much. To, I mean I. I remember the previous fall, I would Euronymph one day and then Stillwater fish the next day and then back and forth and back and forth. And there was such a diversity between the types of fishing that I was doing that I really felt like I learned a lot. And going from there, uh, you know, I've put in a lot of time into Stillwaters and a lot of time into streamer fishing, a lot of time now into tying. Uh, it's just, it's it's truly amazing. And I have this type of personality where I like to get into something where, like I've already said before about fly fishing, where I can get as good as I, as I, as I want to. If I put myself into it, I can get as good as I want. I played the cross and I busted my ass off and I did everything I could. Uh, I shot archery at the same time and afterwards of lacrosse. And I mean, I got, I got pretty good. And again, with mediocre gear, nothing crazy. Uh, sure. Sometimes I get carried away and buy something a little more expensive, but it's what happens when you have a, an addictive personality. But my point is, is that I love these sort of things. And that's the, that's the thing with fly fishing, you know? Just anybody can do it, and I love that. Doesn't matter how rich you are, how poor you are, doesn't matter what waters are near you, doesn't matter where you're from. Fish don't judge you or your gear. They just judge how you're fishing. And that's it. <laughs> and that's 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 bliss, truly. As uh I remember um there's a particular fly fisherman on instagram and uh which i i will talk to you why he he has been so like influential influential on me now more than ever but and i can branch into that a little bit after this but i remember one of his captions truly just grabbed me and made me realize like what it's really about with social media, there's so much about sponsorships and deals and, hey, I'm a quote-unquote pro. Look at me. I got, you know, a rod, a line, a real sponsor. I got whatever. And uh, I think what what his caption was, fish don't care about how many sponsorships you have. And I think that was all he said. And it was just like, wow, they don't. They don't care. And I put and I realized that on the water, you know? And a two hundred dollar rod, that I mean for a lot of people that's a lot of money. But for fly fishing, you know, that's okay. 
whatever. That's not the point. The point is that with a much, much, much cheaper rod than what I see people fishing, I can outperform them. And guess what? That fish didn't care what rod I had. They didn't care if I had a scientific angler sponsorship. They didn't care if Cortland was sponsoring me or Hardy or whatever. It, they don't care. You throw that fly in front of their face in the proper way that looks natural, they're going to eat. They're not discriminatory. That's that. It's awesome. But I guess talking about that and the particular guy on Instagram, um, I don't know if he wants a shout out or not. Uh, so I'm not, I'm going to be quiet about it. Um, I don't personally know him. I just follow him, but he has, I remember not really knowing about golden trout before. And, uh, when I first started getting Instagram, I don't know how, but I stumbled upon this guy and he was catching golden trout. And I was like, well, look at this fish. I mean, it is a truly magnificent fish. If you guys haven't seen a golden trout, look it up. And now, no, before I continue on and you look, this is not a palomino. This is not a golden rainbow where those, you know, stocked fish from Pennsylvania, West Virginia, whatever. And I have no problem with those fish. That's fine. But those are not golden trout, even though... Sometimes internet searches will pull up those as a golden trout. They're not. Golden trout is a species that originates and is native from the South Fork Kern River in California in the Sierra Nevadas. That is what they're from. They're not a rainbow trout mutated in a hatchery. You know, anyways, I was seeing pictures of these fish and I was like, oh my God. I got to know about this. This is, I got to know where he's catching these. And I never shouted out to him or anything like that because it's like, I know for a fact that he's hiking into these lakes because I know with my own personal research, before I even really started getting into it, I knew that golden trout areas are hard to reach places because they need a cold they i mean they adapted to a cold environment in a high elevation area so the species needs really really cold water as is plus they're super susceptible to hybridization uh i mean my senior thesis for my bachelor's was all about invasive species affecting uh, invasive salmonids affecting native salmonids so trout salmon whatever and just like uh within the uh western inland mountain range uh i don't know what what am i what it it's specifically called but you know the montana colorado wyoming utah new mexico area where there weren't rainbow trout before those subspecies of cutthroat are super susceptible to hybridization with rainbow trout because of their super similar genetic you know similarities and uh so just like that and how that the species can quickly dwindle away because of hybridization uh golden trout are super 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 susceptible to this and i think it's because they have a super i keep saying super pardon me (laughs) they are extremely 
closely related to rainbow trout and it's and i know remember reading in prior stuff that there is still a debate whether they are their own species or a subspecies of rainbow trout specifically and i think current research is leaning more towards and not even leaning more towards i think current research has indicated that they're their own species but continuing on they're still closely enough related that they can create viable offspring which means they can survive uh being a hybrid and continue to reproduce um and that's bad for you know genetic purity i mean anyways so i don't remember how i got down this path how i got this far about genetic purity or whatever but i knew golden trout lived in oh yeah that's right golden trout live in high areas to you know because they they're susceptible to hybridization um so i never asked him i i I, it's like he's worked hard to get to spots i'm not even gonna bother because why would you share that information i mean it's like fishing spots as everyone knows who fishes quickly become overrun once they're spilled out to the public um so i was well aware of how hard it is to go get a golden trout maybe not necessarily to catch them but to get to the areas to where they're at and i was fascinated by it but there with everything else with me and fly fishing there's waves of how into a species or technique that i am uh that i'm into it uh so golden trout come and go not quite as often as other things say like euro nymphing and still water fishing i don't euro nymph anymore just because of the waters i'm at but let's say still water fishing i will be on still water fishing tying getting gear fishing it solidly for an x amount of time and then it's like dead and then i'm I'm hopping on to something else and then another thing back to still water fishing then to maybe just this specific species and multiple different techniques whatever so golden but golden trout specifically as a species don't pop up in my head for some reason as much and it's probably because of how far they are from me and where they live and the accessibility and whatnot but now recently particularly this past november december ish it struck me again that there are these beautiful trout they live in such remote areas and the amount of genetically pure areas is so limited in comparison to other species there's still plenty of pure areas um but they're so it's just a limited resource and such a beautiful fish go do it who cares if you you have to backpack you know 10 miles 20 miles 30 miles now as a not really experienced backpacker i'm not gonna be doing 20 30 miles 10 miles but still go do it just and i so i bought books and I started doing a bunch of research and on the internet, if there is a lot of information on a particular lake or whatever, it's not necessarily a good thing. So like, let's say the South Platte river in Colorado, there is endless information on that river. 
But guess what? You go there on Saturday, there's an endless amount of people. So the internet has its ways of being super helpful, but for an individual, hurtful, if that makes sense. So I bought this book, and there's a great amount of information. And trust me, he makes you work to find the information on these lakes. The book is uh, Fly Fishing the Rocky Mountain Backcountry by Rich Ostoff. Ostoff. I hope I'm saying his last name right because his work is incredible. And it's like this book, even though I picked it up, put it down between, you know, an X amount of time, it has got so much information and is so helpful. And if I end up chasing goldens this year, which I only have maybe a three-week, four-week time span to go do it before those lakes ice up uh, and, you know, work and whatnot. Uh, I have a very limited amount of time to do it. But if I go do it this year, I have to give Rich and the state of Wyoming and its information on its fisheries all the credit because I live in Colorado and I'm not going up and exploring these areas by foot but still i have information at my hand if i'm willing to go read about it not blast it on the internet well that's whatever that's not really the point i'm getting at the point is this book has been super helpful in trying and guiding me into an area where i want to go fish and there's also videos i've seen where they're not talking about the lake they're at but they're showing the technique the flies what they're doing to get up there how they're being safe say with bears or whatnot and if i go do it this year which i'll have a follow-up if i do it's a big if uh there's so much thinking that i have to go do between authors and state departments and particularly my beautiful girlfriend josie if i go do this the biggest credit goes to her because at the end of the day, she's the one that's being separated away from me uh, and vice versa. I'm being separated from her, but it's her time away from me that she's forfeiting for me to go create an adventure. And that's awesome. And if you guys have a person in your life that is like that, take care of them because they're awesome. Anyways, to continue on i guess uh i there's so much thinking to do if i go do this trip and uh i have an x amount of lakes that are about eight to 12 miles back which is doable to go hike in a day half a day you know depending on how fast i go and whatever get up to these places go fish for a day day and a half and come back down and drive home and i mean there's yeah if I go do this, the information that I've gained from different amount of sources and being willing to go find that stuff, it it's going to benefit my trip. And again, the fact that those resources are out there, I couldn't be more thankful. Um, and you know what? If I don't end up doing it this year, for one, that's my own fault because I could have done it all this summer and I'm deciding to wait until August. But that's just when it decided to pop up into my head. <laughs> Unfortunately, because I could have been doing it June through July, uh, whatever. So if I don't do it this year, though, 
I still have on top of that an entire year to find even more research, even more lakes, maybe even put in a bit more leg work to get myself more ready for maybe even a deeper hike in for potentially better fishing. Um, so yeah, the lure to go catch a golden trout is real. And you know what? I could go do this in Colorado. There are golden trout in Colorado. There are state stocked ones and there are some wild ones too. Now the wild ones are a lot more limited but the thing is, with golden trout in Colorado, you still got to hike. You still got to put work in to go get them. I mean, if I'm putting 8 to 10 miles in, and the reward... Sure, the reward is a golden trout in the state of Colorado, which is awesome. But if they're only amounting to 10 inches, when I could hike the same amount of distance, put in the same amount of work, and not even be climbing in that high of elevation that Colorado sees and be catching 18 or, you know, let's say 16 to 20 inch and bigger golden trout. Why wouldn't I go do that instead? And the way I see it is I love Colorado. I love the idea of catching a golden trout. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. But equal distance, equal effort, equal exhaustion, Maybe not the same driving time, but when we're talking about footwork and, you know, yeah. If you were talking footwork solely, I would rather drive twice as far to go catch a bigger fish. Because at the end of the day, to me, what's more memorable is a larger fish. And granted, there's a lot of context between, you know, what is a memorable fish. I remember... In a two-week, maybe even between a week or maybe two weeks this year in March, I caught a 28-and-a-half-inch rainbow on a streamer. Awesome feeling. Awesome, awesome, awesome feeling. But then I think it was a week or two later, uh, it was, you know, within March, I go to a super high-pressured tailwater, and I pull out a 24-inch rainbow on a size 24 midge on 6x tippet on one of the most spookiest fish i've ever personally sought out to catch sight fished solely targeting the single fish that smaller and 24 inches shit don't get me wrong a two foot trout that's an amazing feeling but that 24 inch rainbow the feeling and gratitude i got towards catching that versus the 28 and a half inch was so much higher and uh i mean yeah so i guess there's so much context into a catch and what you're doing and maybe catching that 10 inch trout for somebody why you know wild golden trout in the state of colorado is a super memorable trip it would be for me too but but i'm gonna say but again but to have the opportunity to catch what is considered to me a trophy high alpine fish, which is to me 18 inches and above for a high alpine area. To have that opportunity to go get a trophy, to put in the same footwork, maybe drive farther. Well, absolutely drive farther. I feel like 
that would be more worth it. And even if I don't even catch one of those fish, which I don't even expect to catch a fish at all whatsoever. I mean, you always go into the day optimistic, but don't ever expect to catch a fish, of course. But the way I see it is to have the potential of catching a larger fish. That idea is so much more exhilarating to me. And uh, I admire beautiful, wild, small fish. Don't get me wrong. But like I said again, if I have the opportunity to put in the same amount of work and catch a fish that's twice as large, I'd rather go do that. Even if I don't do it. I catch that big of a fish. So, that's where I'm at right now. I guess I just want to go catch a a golden trout and I've been reading and researching nonstop and uh if I don't go this year like I said I still have a whole nother year to do so much more researching and uh that's awesome and I know for sure it's only going to be one trip if I do it in 2021 but in 2022 it is my goal to do it at least two two times at least two times and I there's so many high country uh opportunities here in colorado i can go to a lake that's almost thirteen thousand feet in elevation and have the opportunity to catch a trout there's not many places where you can say you can catch a fish at that high elevation granted they're very small fish i mean they're probably you know eight inch little cutthroats or brookies and that's fine i'm just saying the opportunity is there for me and i have a beautiful fishery within an hour from me that has some large fish uh, in an alpine setting so yeah I mean I guess where I'm sitting at is uh, I don't know that's my golden trout rambling (laughs) Uh, I guess to uh, oh I don't know I guess to follow up to my golden trout rambling and uh, whatever I guess I could maybe Maybe wrap up the show. Maybe do a little recap on uh, my most recent adventure. Um, this past week and a half, I was... I met me and my brother. We drove up um, from Grand Junction. And we ended up meeting our parents and our brother um, in Yellowstone. And got to see the park and whatnot. But then afterwards, I spent three days uh, fishing. And I know three days is not enough to cover Idaho and Montana. Not even close. Um, But three days. And my goal was to crack some hard fisheries, figure it out, and at least catch a couple fish. I mean, I knew going in that particularly the one river and i'm going to be open about what it was the harriman ranch on the henry's fork in idaho is i mean that is that is one of the that is probably the the hardest that was the hardest fishery i've ever been on and it's arguably one of the hardest trout fisheries in all north america i mean it is flat water with billions of microcurrents weeds for days you know fish being overselective on a particular species of bug that's hatching and in Colorado that's usually a good thing right but on this section of river 
that's not because there's a billion different mayfly species and zoning in on one i mean it's it's difficult it's a difficult all-around fishery and if because of the weeds if fish are not rising odds are you're not catching fish i mean unless you got a hopper going and maybe if you throw a non-weighted or lightly weighted nymph below and fish it in non-weeded areas which it's hard to come by <laughs> very hard to come by if i mean that could result in some fish but it's pretty much playing with the rises and going from there and uh i got humbled <laughs> i'll tell you what um <clears throat> i fished it pretty hard uh I, I fished it real hard one day um on the day that we ended up meeting our parents in the afternoon at west yellowstone um I fished until about 2-ish, 2.30-ish that day, and tough, 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 tough. That's an easy way to put it. And then after hanging out with the family, doing a little adventuring, and going off on our own, I fished another two days. And I, I remember the day after leaving my parents, we all broke apart in the morning, they had to get going back to Nebraska. And I remember distinctly just thinking, we're going to do this. We're going to get a fish. We are going to do this. And I actually had ended up getting some shots of fish. The problem is, again, that hyper selectivity on this particular species of fish. Getting the presentation right as well and dealing with the currents i mean there's there was so much to it and i remember getting these great shots at these fish and my bugs just weren't right and then i think they might have been catching my and i was fishing five and a half x tippet and most people fish like a five x because once you start going down to six you're just you're not gonna land any fish you're gonna hook in them but you're not gonna land any because of the weeds and their rainbow trout that push 20 inches so you know kind of hard but it just it's just like i couldn't get it i couldn't get it done you know and i had shots within maybe 40 40 feet of me um and it was just like nothing couldn't could not make it happen and then finally the second day after you know leaving with the parents it was like i went back to that ideal location where there's fish rising i had shots and i just couldn't get it together and it was crazy because the hatches that were going on that morning was ridiculous. There was, I don't know, maybe like a size 16 and a size 20, both black caddis going off. There was PMD clouds dancing along the shore. There were, uh, man, I wish I could even say all the species that, there's so many species of mayflies that we don't particularly have in Colorado. But, um, I mean, it was absurd. The The conditions for rising fish was there, and there was not a single big head coming up. The little fish are always rising there, uh, which, you know, it's just about anywhere. But it's like, uh, it was brutal. And finally, I just said, I just threw the towel. I'm like, if fish are not rising during overcast conditions, 
clouds of mayflies, clouds of caddis. There's probably beetles and hoppers, or beetles and hoppers, beetles, grasshoppers, ants falling in the water, and there's not a single big nose. In this ideal conditions and ideal water, nothing. I just said, screw this. I'm headed to Montana. And I already had plans to go fish a spring creek in Montana um, the day, the next day. But I wanted to get to Bozeman and talk to a fly shop and get some advice before I went. So I said, you know what, I guess this is good. Um, you know, this is a good thing, I guess. Let's just get out of here before this river continues to humble the crap out of me. And uh, fish the, the Gallatin on the way. Um, a lot more different. A lot more different uh than i was expecting it to be um i was expecting the canyon-esque part of it but i did not expect the water to be and it's not a fast river particularly i mean in comparison to say the madison or the roaring fork here in colorado um so it wasn't fast but it was a lot different than i was expecting it to be um and i i, I didn't really fish it much i fished it for maybe 45 minutes just pulled off the highway didn't didn't get anything didn't see any rising uh not that the risings are imperative to catching fish but i just really was in the the dry fly mindset because of the harriman ranch so anyways stopping bozeman um talked to the fly shop uh ended up they ended up pointing me in direction to go fish for a night or fish for the rest of the evening in a local area that didn't have closures and where the water was safe. And I fished this lake and a little bit of the creek and saw fish and got, you know, I didn't catch anything, which is fine. So my trip continued to just humble the crap out of me. And uh, so then I show up to Spring Creek the next day uh, and it was, I, I did not know how difficult it was i figured when reading about it people fished 7x in that water solely for the fact that the water was clear but it was and that was a big part of it don't get me wrong but people also do it because it's like a mini harriman ranch where it's it's a spring creek setting just like the harriman super weedy a billion microcurrents clear water and it's like Oh my gosh, I did not know it was going to be like this. And it just kicked my ass. And uh, finally, I I started to get, I found the right area, found fish rising, and it started clouded up, and PMDs were popping off hard. And I ended up catching two little rainbows, tried a dropper for a bit, and ended up catching a whitefish of all things. I've, I didn't know the whitefish snuck in the spring creeks, but I guess they do. And, uh, which I also, when we were in Yellowstone, I snuck out one evening and fished uh, the uh, one of the branches of the Madison and ended up catching a, quite a few whitefish. I should have mentioned that, but whitefish don't get love. But uh, <laughs> anyways, so uh, it's... And then the ideal conditions happened where those PMDs are popping off, even heavier now. And I'm fishing this six and a half X... And it turns out my knots didn't have enough turns in them. 
because you yeah, with like say Rio and scientific angler stuff, even Cortland's like Tippet. Uh, not that I'm sponsored by any means. I just well more well known Tippet companies. I know how many turns I need with a particular diameter, and when it came, I got a for this type of water a very very large rainbow to eat my fly and i mean it was awesome i mean i watched this thing it sipped right behind this weed this pile of weeds kind of like right where current and slack current meet and uh so i cast kind of up ahead of it which is already dangerous as is because it's like clear water you're casting over a feeding fish and then my pmd drifts and it's it grabs a microcurrent just right where the, the fly is able to drift right to where that fish was. And it, I just watch its head sip up and it completely inhale. And I just set the hook and it was like in a split second off. And it was heartbreaking. And, um, I can't remember the size of the other fish that I broke off on. I mean, it had to have been quite similar size, maybe a little bigger, maybe a little smaller. All I know it was for the Spring Creek, very large rainbow trout. I mean, and let's say 16 to 18 inches. I, I mean, that's just a guesstimate. Um, and I was like, what is going on? And then when I'm trying to tie in more tippet, my triple surgeon's knots just snapping off. And I realized that this six and a half X, it's... I mean, it needs a lot of turns, and I think it was just the slippage of the knot, the material itself. But once that knot got on, it held super strong. Once I figured it out, so I ended up having to do a quadruple surgeon's knot, and then like nine turns on uh, a clinch knot to, to the fly, which, I mean, you know, if I would have known this going in with that particular size of tippet. I mean, I would have had two very good f fish for that type of water. And, uh, I mean, you live and you learn. Um, it was my first time using six and a half X second time using that company stuff. And, uh, what can you do? I ended up, um, continued to get humble as the rain settled in and the PMD hatch damper down. The fish were figuring out what the hell I was doing. So I went to another section and by this point, most people had cleared out because there was a wave of thunderstorm and then it cleared out for a while. And then the thunderstorm really came in and I was the only person on the property. And um, I started just throwing grasshoppers after a while and I caught a rainbow and it was a good size rainbow. And I was like, heck yes, I, f I finally caught a decent fish in this water without having to break off spook this or that pop off and uh which i had another eat where the fish immediately threw the hook so it had to have felt a hook or two before but uh then uh after a while about mid mid afternoon before the thunderstorm came another storm came in um what i assumed to be sulfurs started coming off and unfortunately I did not have a single sulfur dry fly. And what a sulfur is, is like, it's a summer betis. And uh, the coloration is kind of similar to just like 
a smaller PMD, but these sulfurs are like size 22, 24 dries. And the closest I had was like a size 20 or 22 betas. You know, the classic bluing olive color. So not the color that matches how a sulfur really looks, even though it's a betas. And uh, so I'm just throwing everything to see if I can even slightly mimic it. And finally, I had a rusty spinner in a size 18, still big, but the coloration was just enough, just right enough that this fish, I watched this fish come up and just like, it was very funny during this hatch, sometimes fish sip, you know, on certain species, but even on these small of flies, the sulfurs, I mean, fish were going completely out of their way, hammering the heck off the top of the water. And it was, just, it was incredible to watch and even more incredible that I couldn't catch a single one until finally this fish just hammers my fly and uh, the six and a half X, you know, it held strong after I figured out the knotage and how many turns and whatnot. And uh, it was a good fight, good, healthy fish. And I ended up getting it, you know, once it's getting closer to getting landed, I realized this is a native Yellowstone cutthroat, which was like one of my goals of catching in the first place. I mean, I wanted to fish Yellowstone, but with all the rain, rivers were blowing out and the closures at two o'clock made it very difficult to get out and fish because during the morning, that's when we wanted to see the park. So I didn't really get an opportunity to go catch a native Yellowstone cutthroat. And they have them in these spring creeks, but not as often because if you didn't know, well, I'm sure most don't know listening to this because you guys are all very nice listeners, friends, family who decided to maybe listen to five minutes of this. Thank you for that. But so I guess I'll be a little informative that the Yellowstone River outside of the National Park, even within the National Park, it has rainbows and browns, neither of which are native to the river. Browns, of course, not even native to the continent, but that's not important. The rainbows is the big problem because of the hybridization, as mentioned with, you know, goldens. Um, so there's still some pure native cutthroats that are below. Um, there's, there's these particular falls within the Yellowstone National Park on the Yellowstone River that's kind of like the natural barrier from letting rainbows completely take over the system and there's it's kind of odd from what i've read there's not a whole lot of uh cut bows in the yellowstone river more so it's just in this particular stretch what the rainbows have done to the cutthroat more so is just out competing them rather than out competing them while also hybridizing and I don't know why. And maybe it's just people. I, I don't know. I don't know why. I'm not going to even take a guess. All I can say is they're still purebred. Not many though. Yellowstone cutthroats. In the Yellowstone River. In the lower sections. Below the falls. And it was just insane to catch one. Because it, I could see visually that. Majority of these fish. And maybe there was a brown or two mixed in. And maybe some of them were cutthroat and I was not purely recognizing, but most of them were rainbow trout. The ones I could purely identify, I know were rainbow trout. And uh, 
it was just awesome. It was truly awesome to get a twofer. This creek kicked my ass. It was like a micro Harriman ranch. And I ended up getting, I, I felt like I was really gifted this fish. I mean, during a super selective hatch in super selective waters, billions of microcurrents, micro tippet, you know, all this, I end up catching this fish and in a humbling creek. And on top of that, it's a Yellowstone cutthroat. Just awesome. Purely awesome. Take a couple of quick picks and get that thing right back in the water. Cause it's like the, I mean, the native species truly should be cherished. And I've, you know what? That's a good way to cap this off is to promote native species because like the let's say the, like the whitefish I mentioned how they don't get love I said that jokingly but they don't um and they're in the majority of the west they're one of the only two native salmonids in Colorado the only native salmonids are mountain whitefish and then the various subspecies of cutthroats but those are still cutthroats are still one species and still they're determined as this trash fish and this or that. And they're so widely disrespected. And I truly don't, I don't get it. And back in the day, we decided to dump rainbow trout into every single water ever. And now we're going to spend, you know, forever trying to remove rainbow trout. In Idaho, props to Idaho, they're doing an excellent job doing this rainbow trout removal program because there's oh and i want to say it's the south fork of the snake river i could be wrong on that um so if it if it's another river correct me through dms slide in my dms and tell me i'm wrong but uh below this fall there's a natural barrier I, rainbow trout are native to idaho that's widely known but they were introduced above a particular waterfalls where rainbow trout never existed before, where it was only cutthroat. Now, there's cutthroat in the lower stretches as well. So that's not a problem with the rainbow trout and cutthroat coexisting down there. But up there, they're ravaging the native cutthroats because those cutthroats, even though pretty much genetically the same to the fish below the falls, they adapted to a bit less competition. And so with that, Idaho now is removing so many rainbow trout. And some anglers are calling it a waste. And that's fine. I mean, nobody wants to see a fish. As a fly fisherman, catch and release person, I personally don't want to see a fish die for whatever reason. But when it comes to taking care of something and bringing it back to the natural state, I'm all for it. And it sucks seeing literally thousands of fish be killed uh you know and it, that damages a fishery but you know what in the short term who cares about the fishery fuck it i mean in the long term wouldn't you rather have a natural healthy ecosystem that boosts a thing that's existed there for you know hundreds of thousands of years i sure as shit would so i think there should be more promotion with that and i think stuff like that it starts not even with the cutthroat i think it really branches down to like suckers and whitefish you know they're the bad they're the bad nuisance fish that everyone catches when they're trying to catch trout 
Okay. A white fish will double over your rod more than a brown trout will any day. Any day. And it's a native on top of that. So I guess I'll just wrap this up by saying natives are awesome. If you get a chance, go chase some goldens. Go fish some challenging water. And most of all, thank you for listening. Uh, if you guys listen to like five minutes of it, that's 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 all I care about. I mean, even if 10 people listen to this, if 100 people, whatever. I mean, I'm just making this to see what, what happens of it. I want to do a project and maybe a couple people will follow along the way. So if you guys listened and if you guys listened to the whole hour-ish, however long this was, I appreciate you more than you know, and uh, if you don't fish already, go try it. You know what? Even if you're a spin, if spin fishing is a more cost-affordable option, go do it. Just pinch some barbs, but go do it. Go have fun, and heck, as long as you're treating the fish with respect, keeping your hands wet, and staying off the reds, that's all that matters. So enjoy the outdoors, enjoy fishing. Treat him with respect, and uh, I appreciate the listen. And uh, I guess I'll see you on the next one.